Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe, and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my Father. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? This text really is a good text for our day and time, I believe. Well, most of the Bible is, but these texts in particular uh, define something that I want to speak to you about this morning. Uh, First of all, these people had been following Jesus for quite a while. They had been on the other side of the lake of Gennesaret, and he had fed them. He had fed the 4,000, he had fed the 5,000, so there was a group of people that had been following Jesus for some time. And now then, they bumped their nose against something that that, uh, offended them. They did not like what Jesus was saying. And uh, they did not like what he was doing at this point. They did not like the fact that he was not feeding them like he had fed them before. He was telling them things that they'd never heard before. But even so, what I want to talk to you about this morning is that they quit. They just quit. They gave up. They went home. Didn't want to have anything more to do with Jesus. That was it. They were fini, finished, done. We are aware that starting something is much more simple and easy than finishing it. It's always fun to start a new project. It's always fun to get underway with something that's refreshing, interesting, invigorating, stimulating. And then as we move on into the project, it becomes a little more mundane, a little more difficult to maintain. Once we hit a stride, sometimes we can stay with it for a while, but after a while, it becomes boring, difficult, less glamorous, whatever it may be, we get to the point that maybe we just don't want to keep going with it. Maybe we want to quit, go back to where we were before. Maybe we don't like what's happening now. Maybe we find things that we can criticize, things that don't please us with what we're doing. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the life you have with the Lord. As we grow older in Christ, we reach the point where it's harder to retain our energy and enthusiasm that we had at the beginning. It's just more difficult. It's harder to finish the project. This may be the thinking, may have been the thinking of these people that followed Jesus to this stage of his popularity. It's easier to give up, quit. It's easier to stand back and say, well, 
okay, I've had enough. I'm through. I'll do something else. I'm finished. In relation to the project that Jesus had in mind was he was going to save souls. He was going to bring people into eternity with him. He was going to bring them to the finish line to the point that they were acceptable with their father and then eventually would stand them before the throne of God purified and sanctified and ready to have an eternity of a life of happiness and enjoyment and pleasure forever. The project that he was engaged in is a project that we're engaged in. Everybody's sitting here and the people who are listening to my voice on this recording. The race that we have undertaken with the Lord is not a sprint. It's not something you just start out with pell-mell and go as hard as you can and then quit. And it's not a relay. It's not something you hand off to somebody else. Let them run the next leg of the journey. It is a marathon. When you start out, you're going to have to stick with it to the end of your life. That's how long it is. It's not a short span, unless maybe your life is cut off quickly. But it's a long distance run. Something that you have to stay involved in. You can't turn back. You can't quit. Now, it is possible to quit. It's possible to quit the race. It's possible to turn back. These people did. These people that were following Jesus quit. They went away, and Jesus asked his apostles, he said, are you going to go, go away too? And of course they said, no, you only have the word of eternal life. So they said, no, we're in this for the long run. And that's the question, of course, that we have to put to ourselves. Are we in it for the long run? Are we in it to stay? Are we going to tough it out? Are we going to ignore the discouragements? Are we going to make sure that we don't let someone else turn us aside? Are we going to make sure that we're not distracted? Are we going to stay with it all of our lives to the end? Now, you remember there are some warnings, of course, in this text. There are some warnings. The warnings are that it is possible to turn back. Now, there's a, there's a large religious movement that uh, most of us are aware of, and it's called the movement of once saved, always saved, that teaches that once you're a Christian, you can never fall. Well, that's not true. The Bible doesn't teach that, and experience does not teach that. Generally, people will say, well, if they fell away, that's because they were never there to start with. So that's pretty, pretty harsh, isn't it, to think that you can look inside someone's heart and say, well, you never really were honest about this, were you? That's not true. Honest people can do the same thing as dishonest people can. They can fall away. Remember the story of the release of the children of Israel from Egypt, Egyptian bondage? Moses came down to them. He had been gone for 40 years. He was 40-year-old when he left. He spent 40 years around the area of Mount Sinai, basically. 
Then he came back, God sent him back to deliver his people, to take them to a land that flowed with milk and honey. I'm telling you, that has to be exciting. A new adventure. We're going to go to a new place. We're going to be freed from what we have been doing, which was very cruel bondage at that point. They had to make bricks, and they had to, make, they had to go out and gather the straw to make the bricks. They were, at one time, the Egyptians were providing the straw, and they could make the bricks, and they could build the, whatever they were building. They would build all the structures. But now they said, no, they, you've got too much spare time on your hands, so you can gather the straw too. So they were, they were under a lot of stress. So here came Moses and Aaron, and all of a sudden, the God of heaven was visiting on this land plagues that were going to release them. Now that had to be exciting because all the plagues were happening to the Egyptians and not to the Israelites. That's fun. When everybody else gets the, gets the brunt of the force of the wrath of God and you're not getting any. You're, you're, the storm's passing over you and, and hitting your enemies. Okay. Now then they're released. And they're, they're, they're told to go out and talk to their neighbors and gather up all the neighbors will give them. And the neighbors were willing to give them everything they could just to get rid of them because they were having problems. Frogs and lice and boils and etc. Blood in the water, all this. And even the death of the firstborn. So the Egyptians are saying, if you don't mind, get out of town. That was fun. Okay, here they go. They got to the river to the, to the uh, Sinai Peninsula. They were getting ready to cross over the Red Sea and, and here came the Egyptians thinking maybe, maybe we made a mistake we want them back and God parted the Red Sea and they crossed over that's got to be exciting <laughs> can you imagine the walls of water on both sides and dry land under your feet and off you go and you get across and the Egyptians try it and they don't, they're not quite as fortunate as you are and you get out in the wilderness and all of a sudden things don't look as rosy as you thought they would be. Okay? Well, you're hungry, and so you ask for food, and God gives you manna on the ground, and then all of a sudden that's not according to what your diet calls for. You want something else. You want some meat, so God gives you meat. Anyway, what's going on is that they're starting to get disgruntled about their situation. Maybe they want to go back. You get it? I'm going to go back. Go back to what? Go back to a life of bondage? I said, well, we had leeks and onions. Can you imagine someone being missing and, and craving onions? Well, they were. They, they wanted to go back and get, get some of these vegetables that they had before. They wanted a variety in their diet. They didn't like the menu. But there are other things they didn't like. Now, here's, what, here's what's said about that. In Hebrews chapter 3 at verse 12 and 13, Paul said, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And he just, he just cited the Egyptian situation where the Israelites had, had come out of Egypt. And he said, Now, you beware that you don't fall into that same category. Exhort one another daily while it is called today lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, while listing many of the faithful men and women 
of the old period, the old world, in Hebrews chapter 11. While listing all of these, Paul also gave a, gave a, a, made a remark about why you have to stay faithful to God and keep your heart secured to Him by faith because there's a possibility that if you're not careful, if you keep thinking about where you were before, how nice it was where you were before, that you're going to have an opportunity to go home, what you call home. Hebrews 11, verse 13 through 16. He lists those living in faith, and, and he said, these all died in faith. And he was listing people like Abraham, Moses, and etc. He said, these all died in faith, not having received the promise, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Now, that's something we have to remember. We're strangers and pilgrims on this earth. This is not where God intends that we live all of eternity. Oh, we live all our life here, okay. But this is the only, not the only place you're going to live. Do you believe that? That's exactly what the Bible teaches. This is temporary quarters. Don't get too used to it. He said, For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. Might have had a reason to go back. Okay. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says this. Now we're talking about the fact that you can go back. It's, it's easy to go back. I've got to tell you, it's easy to quit. It's easy to give up. It's easy to surrender. It is absolutely easy to do it. Now Paul said, the Spirit speaks expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith. Now you can't depart from something you weren't at. You can't leave your house if you're never there. You can't get out of the car if you never got in. You can't get down off of a ladder if you didn't climb up on it. What he's saying here is that some shall depart from the faith, which means they were in the faith. So now when you get into the faith, when you're in the faith, you're in the arms of Jesus, you're in the bosom of God, you can crawl out. That's what he's saying. Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils you'll hear the siren song of the temptress. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 16 through 19, he says, Shun profane and vain babblings. There's always someone that wants to draw you back, get you out of your secure place, your place with God. They will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as does the canker of whom is Hymenaeus, and Philetus, who concerning the truth, have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. So some had faith. And their faith was overthrown because someone was teaching that the resurrection is past, and by the way, you missed it. It's gone. So forget about a resurrection, now just go do what you want to do. You see the danger in that? You get to quit. You can just go back and say, well, there's not going to be a resurrection. God's not going to break. He's already had the resurrection and I wasn't a part of it. And so now then, 
I can do what I want to do. What do you want to do? You want to go back into the life that you had before? He said, nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this seal, the Lord knows those that are His, and that everyone that names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Paul further told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, verse 2 through 3, he says, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but shall heap themselves teachers having itching ears, and shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. You can get distracted by that, can't you? Finding something you like better than the gospel. That's easy. Peter identifies some that left. 2 Peter 2 at verse 20 says, If after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse than the beginning. Jude used these expressions. Jude was the brother of James. Now James and John were brothers, but this is James the less. So Jude was his brother, and he wrote the book of Jude. And at verse 5 he says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Okay? And at verse 6 he says, The angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation. You know, get it. Angels went back. Angels left. Angels quit. Can you quit? You sure can. If an angel can quit, I can too. Okay. But he said, if they, they left not their first habitation, he reserved them in everlasting chains under darkness, under the judgment of the great day. There is going to be a judgment. These angels that left thought, nah, nothing's going to happen. We're going back. We're going to do what we want to do. We're quitting. Going back to the life we left behind can happen. That's all I was reading for you. It can happen. It can happen to you. It can happen to me. We can go back to that life we had before. Not only is it catastrophic to us, it's terribly catastrophic to those that know us and that are influenced by us. The surest method of going back from Jesus is through losing our faith in Him. We just lose confidence in Him. We question His existence. We doubt the integrity of His Word. We reject the Scriptures. We just quit reading the Bible. Read something else. Think about something else. That's the easiest way. The Word of God is the building blocks of faith. If you don't have the building blocks, you don't have faith. You can't ignore the Scriptures. Romans 10 at verse 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 1 and 2, Paul said, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also have you received, wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory that which I have preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. You can believe in vain. By, by believing in vain, that means that you believed but then you quit. You gave up. Just quit. Acts 20 verse 32 said Paul 
had gathered the elders from Ephesus, the church in Ephesus. He'd gathered them, brought them to Miletus because he was on his journey. He was going back to Jerusalem. He had a job to do there. He had to take some money to Jerusalem to help the poor saints, remember? There was a collection made for them. So he asked the brethren, the leading brethren at the church in, in Ephesus, to come meet him in, in Miletus. He wanted to talk to them. He wanted to tell them something important. And part of what he told them was this. He said, and now, brethren, I commend you to God. This is in Acts chapter 20, verse 32. I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. I commend you to God and his word. The word of God, the building blocks, the structure of our faith. Ephesians 1.13, in whom you also trusted after, talking about Jesus, you trusted him after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That's it. How can you lose your faith? Well, just quit reading the scriptures. It won't take long. Just get away from the Bible. It won't take long. There's so many voices out in the world asking you to come do this, to come do that, appealing to your desires, come do this, do this. You, this is okay. God won't mind. You don't have to worry about that. And all of a sudden, you're away from the Scriptures, and all of a sudden, you weaken, and before you know it, you quit. You go back. You're through. It happens. We can lose our faith by associating with those who don't believe. Well, that's easy to do. It's easy to do because you get, you get people who ridicule and who, who actually try to humiliate you for what you believe, that you're some sort of a knucklehead or ignorant or weak or weak-minded or weak-kneed or you're a coward, you don't want to face the, fruit, the truth because you're believing in, in some obscure God up here somewhere that doesn't really get involved in your affairs down here. And so you hear that all the time. People make fun of that, make fun of the fact that you believe. And so you begin to feel pressured. You begin to feel like you don't fit in. You feel like you're odd, that you don't have friends like other people have friends, that you can't do the things that other people do, that your neighbors really kind of look down upon you with pity because you're so stupid. You're so ignorant as, as to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God when in fact all the proof in the world is against them and for you. But, be that as it may, the world has conspired against God and Jesus. Now we have to recognize that. He that's a friend of the world is the enemy with God. God and the world just don't mingle. Oil and water. They don't mix. So if we want to be in the world, we're, we're going to be out of God. If we don't be in God, we're going to be out of the world. So it's just a fact. But when we associate with those who do not have faith, and that's our main association, it's going to affect us. And that may affect our quitting. We may, desire, we may finally decide, well, I've had it. I think I'll just go back the way it was. I was more comfortable with this group more comfortable with them than I am with people of faith. You see? 
Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14. He says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion does that light have with darkness? And what concord does Christ have with Belial? Or what part does he have a believer with an infidel? And what agreement does the temple of God have with idols? For you are the temple of God, of the living God. As I said, I will dwell in them and walk in them. I'll be their God. They should be my people. Now he's not saying that to the world. He's saying that to believers, Christians. I'm in you. You're my temple. And don't mix it up. Don't get involved with those who do not believe and those who want to worship something besides me. He doesn't say not to get out. He doesn't say to get out of the world. He said that's impossible. But just don't mingle up yourself with the world to the point that they're drawing you out away from God. What fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? James said, you adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is the enemy of God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. He doesn't say be unfriendly to people. As a matter of fact, he said we ought to love our neighbors, we love ourselves. But to let someone influence you and carry you away from God, you can't do it. You're going to end up quitting God and going back into the world. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Be not deceived. Evil communications. Word communication doesn't mean telephone calls. Oh, it could mean Facebook. I don't know. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Evil associations. God provided a family of believers to assist us in our walk with God and it's called the church. That's where I'm coming to. That's why I'm preaching this lesson. He devised a group of people called the church. And in Ephesians 3, verse 14 and 15, he says, For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. It's one family. And we draw strength from our fellow believers, and this is how God designed the church, to strengthen one another, to help us keep from quitting, to stay strong, to relate to those who believe in Jesus Christ, to draw strength from one another so that we can stand firm with the Lord. Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 16 says, He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, unto a perfect man, and the measure, the stature, of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no, no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about the ever wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together, by that which every joint supplies, according to the measure of the working of every part, makes increase of the body under the edifying of itself in love. That's a lot to say, isn't it? But what it's saying is that we contribute together and we gain strength from one another. Now, an easy way to quit the Lord is to quit the church. Whoa. Someone said, wait a minute. What are you talking about? What I'm saying is, 
that generally when you step away from the church, you're going to step away from the Lord. Okay? Now, I know there's a lot of argument otherwise. And we live in a time now when, when some people are finding it very easy not to come to church. Easier to come to church. They say, well, I can worship God myself, by myself, where I am. I don't have to be with others. I can, I can do it by myself. Be careful. Be careful. <clears throat> what, you're, what you're saying, you may not understand what you're saying. Let's, let's take you back and see if we can help you understand by what Paul was not understanding. Paul was named Saul at one time. Acts chapter 7, you remember, he was, he was a, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was of the, probably part of the Sanhedrin. And when Stephen was preaching the first gospel to this group of men of the Grecian synagogues in the city of Jerusalem, he was preaching to them the first time apparently they had heard this. Anyway, he was preaching to them Jesus. And they got so upset by what he was saying that they killed him. They killed Stephen. Actually killed the man. Now, I've never been stoned for preaching the word of God. I've been hissed and booed and stuff like that. But I've never been... Nobody's ever hit me or struck me or shot me or stabbed me or thrown a rock at me. I had a lot of insults at times. But here they, they actually threw rocks at this guy, took him outside, and, and the young guys, the guy with strong arms, Paul held their coats for the young guys, and they grabbed up some rocks and killed this man. Stoned him to death. Kept throwing rocks at him until he was dead. And Paul, Saul at that time, was holding their coats, agreeing to it. And then in chapter 8 it says he made havoc of the church. He got after all the Christians, members of the church. So much so that he wanted to go after them not only in the city of Jerusalem, he wanted to go find them wherever they were hiding, he thought. He wanted to go wherever he could get them. And so he was going to Damascus. He heard there's some up there he could get and bring back and put them in prison and prosecute them, persecute them. On his way, now here's the point. On his way, Jesus confronted him. Bright light. Now I want you to listen to what he said to him. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul was persecuting the church. When you said, I'm going to leave the church, what you're saying is you're going to leave the Lord. Yeah. Wow, <laughs> we better watch that one. Because when we start demeaning the church, criticizing the church, maligning the church, we may be maligning the Lord inadvertently, but still doing it. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that the church is the Lord as such. And yet the scriptures do tell us that the church is the body and he's the head of the body. And the church is Christ, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. And verse 23. So now then, when I leave the church, I'm leaving the Lord. 
I'm speaking as one that has experience. I tried that myself. You know that. Those of you who know me know that. It wasn't easy. I thought it was going to be easy. I became discouraged with members of the church. I became upset. I became disillusioned. I preached for so many years, and, and I, I came under some heavy fire from some that I had so much confidence in, in the church that I decided I don't need this anymore. So I quit. But I, I couldn't quit. I couldn't quit. I tried. I tried, but, but it, was, it wasn't as easy as I thought it was going to be. I thought, well, well I, why do I need the church? Why do I need the church? So I tried to quit. And I looked for fault. And I found plenty of it. I looked for fault in different ones. And if you're looking for fault in members of the church, is that, and that's why you're going to leave, because you found fault, you didn't like the song leader, you didn't like those who were trying to do what they could do in teaching, you didn't like... If you're looking for fault in me, for instance, as a teacher, you're going to find it. It's no secret. I have faults. I have big crevices, big cracks, big, big places of chunks of me that should be there that are not. So we can find fault in each other. That's easy to do. But we have to be careful when we're talking about the church as such. Because Jesus said, as a matter of fact, he told us that we shouldn't be looking for fault in other people. Remember the, the uh, sliver in the eye? He said, to judge not. Well, what he was saying was, quit looking for fault in other people. People in the church, the church is actually, if, if we're looking for fault among people, the church is a hotbed of faults. It's a hotbed of poor, innocent individuals looking to get better, but they're still it's kind of like a hospital. If you're looking for somebody that's wounded by sin, come to church because that's where they are. They're there trying to, trying to get better trying to get better. But the church is described as a human body and has various parts in it. Body is one and Christ is one and Christ is the head of that church. Verse 23, it's, it's his body and it's the fullness of him that fills all on. Ephesians chapter 1. Our focus should be on Jesus. Not necessarily on the members of the church. Not on any individual members. Focus should be on Jesus. Now, quitting the church is not exactly like quitting Jesus as such, but it amounts to the same thing. It does. You, and that's, just, that's why I brought, this whole sermon is coming to this point. A lecture? Okay. A word of encouragement? Better yet. Romans 10, 7, 10 25 says... Forsake not the assembling ourselves together as the manner some is. Get together, he said. Why? Exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. To encourage one another. When we come to church, we think, well, I'm coming because I need to come. I'm also coming, and I'm talking about coming to church, coming to the assembly, not staying home if you can help it, some people can't help it, that's obvious. Some people can't make it because of physical impairments, difficulty. A lot of people couldn't make it during the COVID 
situation. But that kind of started something, I'm afraid. And maybe people are saying, well, you know, I just might as well stay home. I can get the, as much out of it at home as I can there. You can, but you can't put as much into it. You can get as much out, but you can't put anything in. Okay? Somebody says, well, what good does it do for me just to come and sit in a pew? Because when I see you sitting in the pew, I know you're standing for the Lord. When I see that, that encourages me. So you have, you have uh, exhorted me in doing that. When I'm not in the assembly, the Bible says we're to speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I can't do that remotely for you. When I'm sitting and when I'm standing in the assembly, I can hear your songs and I can be speaking to you and you speaking to me. You say, well, I, maybe I don't like the... That I don't like the way they sing. Sing better. Improve it. Do the best you can. Because you're singing to one another. We're singing to one another. And you can't do that sitting by yourself on a mountaintop. Or in your car listening to the radio. Or at home watching a video. You can't do that. You can't speak to me in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I can't speak. Well, maybe I can speak to you if you're listening, but you, you can't speak to me. And that's what the Bible says. And the Bible tells me that we get together, together, and we partake of the Lord's Supper and encourage one another by remembering that Jesus is the Son of God and that He died for our sins and that His blood was shed on our behalf. We, we uh, and I, let me get back to this. Every church is not focused on Jesus. So when I left, I couldn't stay away. So Bonnie and I, we said, well, we've got to go to church somewhere. So we, we, looked, we kept looking around everywhere. We wanted to find some place where people were focused on Jesus Christ, the Son of God, because He is our Savior. And we went everywhere we could find where people were doing it. And guess what? We, here we are. So we know that you are focused on Jesus Christ. Bonnie and I do. If we're looking for a place, a church, we just should look for that church that is holding Jesus high and preaching His Word and concerned about the Gospel and concerned about the things that Jesus is concerned about and not look down upon them and say, well, I, you know, they just don't seem to like to be the right kind of people. The only kind of people we're looking for are believers. Those who hold Jesus up. Jesus said, if he's raised up, he'll draw all men unto him. So we've, we found that. And, and that, if we're, if we're going to talk about looking for people to meet with, that's the people you need to meet with. That's the church. That's the kind of people that, that are looking for the Lord, that are preaching the gospel. They're holding up Jesus, teaching Jesus, not teaching that the, that the church is the most important thing. It's Jesus the most important thing to the church. Faith, repentance, confession, and baptism for the remission of sins. That's the way you get into Christ. That's what should be taught. Folks that are singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Folks that are praying. I can't pray with you. I can pray for you. You can pray for me. But we can't pray together unless we're together. Then we can pray. Don't quit the church. 
don't quit the church. And by that, I mean, don't quit the assembling of the church. Don't quit. That's what God intended, that we be together as a body. Don't quit. When you quit the church, you're in danger quitting the Lord. You are. That's what I'm going to leave you with this morning. Don't quit. Don't go back. Don't go back into the world. Don't go back into your sofa in the living room and forget about assembling with the saints. Don't go back into the old habit you had before. Don't lose your faith in God, in Jesus Christ. Don't quit what you're doing. Whenever you quit something, it's like, I'm tired. Let somebody else do it. You know what's going to happen? You won't ever come back to it and do it again. That happens. Well, I've been teaching Bible class for so long, I'm going to let somebody else do it. Just as soon as you do, you're going to find that you'll never go back and do it again. You'll let somebody else do it. I'm just, I'm just going to... I'm, I'm, it's, it's time for somebody else do, do, does this instead of me. And then I'm going to criticize whoever does it. We can't do that. We can't do that. We can't say, well, I'm tired, I've had enough, I'm through. Don't quit. I'm going to tell you right now, and I think I'm confident, comfortable in saying this. It's going to be worth it. Stick with it. Don't go back. Don't make that mistake. Let's stand and sing our song of invitation.